Hey guys, this is John with the podcast today for Tuesday, the 25th of January. Happy New Year still. We can do that for one more month. Yeah. And I have a special guest in here today. This is Andrew Hayes. He uh, currently is uh, Senator Jones, District Director, and he's the board president for the Lakeside School District. Yep. And he's a, a local Rotarian. That's right. And he loves to travel and read. I do. When awesome. I have time. Well, welcome, Andrew. Thanks for coming on, man. How's it going? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Usually the guests don't ask the questions. I can. I'm just going to take control. (laughs) Okay, that's what you do. Yes. Right. So um, you're you're here on um, which behalf? On uh, as a board president? Who? How do you want to talk? Well, I think we can talk about numerous different issues from both sides. I mean, they all intertwine, right? I mean, exactly. Sacramento and education is directly intertwined with each other. I mean, bills coming out of Sacramento impact education all the time, and what we do locally impacts Sacramento. Okay. So let's start with locally in a school district. Okay. Okay. So you're in the Lakeside School District. Uh, What's new going on over there? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, we're having a great year so far, although like everyone else, we're struggling with with staffing shortages and making sure our kids stay in school. I mean, that's been the goal of my colleagues and I is to make sure that we keep our kids in school focused and, you know, make sure that, that, uh, they are there in the classroom. We know that's where they do best. We know that that's, uh, sort of where their, their focus should be. So we're focused on keeping them in schools. We're focused on making sure that they don't, you know, they're safe. And so that's the goal that we're doing. So that's where we are in Lakeside. Although I will tell you that, um, you know, if anyone out there sees a school teacher, classified staff, custodian, anyone who works in education, thank them because, they are working really hard right now, and it's really been very difficult with all the contact tracing and things they have to work on. Yeah, my wife is uh, um, a principal at St. Rita's School, a little Catholic school on Imperial and Euclid, a good yeah. part of town. And um, she spends a lot of her time doing the contract tracing, and she's got a big old yellow sheet on the wall, and she's got all the kids and their families and you know, parents call her, hey, can I go back to work today? Uh, no, you get two more days. Mm-hmm. And she's got it all figured out. So yep. she spends a lot of time running down numbers. It's hard. And it, frankly, it takes away, I mean, you can know, speak from personal mm-hmm. experience, it takes away from her time being in the classroom, helping and mentoring teachers that are there. I mean, part of a principal's job is to help and make sure that teachers have the support they need. And when the principals are spending all their time calling people and saying, hey, you've been in close contact, or just trying to keep track with the newest change, because right. it changes daily. I mean, seriously, last week it changed four times. So it's this, this decision tree that, you know, teachers and everyone has to follow, you know, and it comes from Sacramento, by the way, and it comes from folks in the CDPH who frankly have never been. CDPH? Yeah, the California Department of Public Health. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a total jargon. I've been saying it for a year, so I just say it really fast. Okay. But the point is, you know, they've never been in the classroom. Some of these folks who've been in Sacramento uh, at the Department of Public Health, they don't know what a teacher's day looks like. Frankly, they probably don't even know, you know, what their daily routine is, more or less how that impacts you know, the decision tree impacts the teacher's decisions they have to make that day. So, um, well, hopefully we, we end up with, uh, we don't end up with our kids too far behind. Well, the data right now is not saying that they're, uh, is saying that they are pretty far behind. And so, uh, that's sad because what I'd like to see in schools is our kids at least growing a little bit in education. Now we haven't had a statewide test in over two years. So, you know, we don't have that point in time where, Hey, have kids done really well? 
Do we know where they are? So local school districts have had to do local assessments to figure out where they are and where their kids are. And I'm fortunate, and I think it's a testament to our team in Lakeside, that our kids have actually grown in both math and reading over the past two years. So uh, the achievement that our kids are having, it's not been as big, I think, as everybody would like, but at least there's been some growth. And so... Well, they're not slipping back not like slipping. they did like the first That's right. half year that under COVID where kids were just totally That's spacing right. out and turning off the volume and just kind of sitting there and playing video games yeah, while well, on and, camera. Uh, uh, well, and how do you manage that, right? I mean, that was mm-hmm. part of the whole challenge of distance learning is how does a teacher know if the student is actually there and engaged? I mean, you don't really know. And so I think that for me, when I look at it, I'm glad to see that our kids grew. But also, the testament to my colleagues and I, we opened schools earlier than most districts in the county. And, you know, we, we were, you know, in line with other East County districts that opened, you know, very much in the spring of 2021. And that's, that's an important thing to people to remember is we opened early. Others were closed through, you know, the beginning of this year. Some, some back in the fall were opening for the first time in two years. Wow. I mean, it's nuts. So So what does a parent do in that situation? I mean, can they move districts? Is that easy to do? Is it difficult? They can move districts. I mean, you have to do a bunch of paperwork, right? Like anything else that's related to government, you have to fill out forms, but you can do inter-district transfers. I mean, for example, in Lakeside, we have lots of uh, folks who live in Santee who come to Lakeside schools and vice versa, you know, there are people who live in Lakeside and go to Santee, but that's because we're similar demographics and similar districts and many of the things that we do. And so uh, I think that you can do that. And parents should look at what fits their values better. And, hey, they want to go somewhere that, that supports, you know, kids first. That's Lakeside, in my view. Well, there you go. Awesome. Okay, so we talked about a couple things before we went on um, with the podcast. Where, um, we were talking about a couple proposed bills that are talking about uh, mandatory vaccinations yep. for uh, 12 and up. Yep. And also one about uh, kids being able to get the vaccine without their parents' permission. That is correct. What's going on here? Well, all right. So SB 871 is the one that, uh, it's called the Keep Schools Open and Safe Act. And Senator Pan, Richard Oh, this is right up there with the um, Affordable Health Care Act. Yes, very much so. Right, yes. And nice fancy name, but Mm -hmm. the bill title is, that's the bill title, and then the number is SB 871. Parents should really be watching this one. There's numerous reasons why. The first is it requires, and well, actually, it doesn't require it. Well, it does require it. Adds <laughs> it, it's it's sort of a catch twenty two. It adds the COVID vaccine to the list of mandatory vaccinations that a school district m- district must admit a student with. So, meaning if they don't have the COVID nineteen vaccine, we as a public school, let's say Lakeside, we couldn't admit that student, and we'd ask for proof. So that's one thing. The second so thing, they would have to get that every year because if it's supposed to be like the flu and you have to get it every year, they have to get that every year. Well, that's actually a great question that we don't know the answer to yet. And okay. one that I have, I mean, it's a question I have. So what does that mean? Are they going to be boosted? Because with all the other mandatory vaccines that are in that, that bill, whether it's rubella, you know, any of those things, that's not a yearly vaccine. I mean, you know, I got the rubella vaccine when I was a baby and I haven't gotten it since, you know, so... Um, do, I, do we have to be boosted? Does, is that the requirement in the bill? So that's a question we don't know the answer to yet. Um, now, granted, it was just introduced this week, so I'm sure there'll be clarity on some of this, and maybe not. Uh, but so that's the first point. It, requ- it adds COVID-19 vaccine to the list of required immunizations or vaccinations for school kids. The other part of it, though, that's really, to me, uh, a bad situation, is it removes the personal belief exemption. 
uh, for parents or for, for families. So let's say for all vaccines for, for the COVID-19 vaccine for kids in school. Um, and cause currently, right. The governor's mandate that he announced in October has religious and personal belief exemptions and medical exemptions. This bill removes the personal belief exemption and religious exemption for parents who may choose not to vaccinate their children. And so as a result, um, that's a challenge because it removes So the that. medical exemption is still there. It's still there, but let's be clear on how that process works. Uh, those thing, those medical exemptions are extremely hard to acquire, and uh, they don't they don't. So it's not like them. going to get your medical card for, for marijuana where you can just go, you know, I get headaches, I get a little tense, I'm a little anxious. Nope. Okay. You can, it is not I can't sleep. Nope, it is not okay. that simple. It is so strict to Having actually get Having a hard time gaining weight. None of those things. None of those things apply. Okay. None of those things apply. And, it, you know, it's a, that's a great correlation to uh, the, the equity, right, in the process. I mean, medical uh, marijuana, access to that, you can go and get, a, you know, get the ability to have access to that very easily. We know that. Well, to get a medical exemption for a vaccine, it's extremely difficult. And that's basically because Senator Pan has, has been the leader in the state on closing what he calls uh, loopholes to vaccination, right? I mean, he— Oh, are, in this situation, we might call them opportunities for freedom. Uh, yes, I would agree with that. 100%. Okay, gotcha. I mean, it, it allows parents to choose what's best for their kids. So that's sort of the second kind of pillar of Senator Pan's bill. The third— that is that is creating a lot of stir among parents is that this bill doesn't require the vaccination to be approved by the FDA to be mandated in schools. Oh, wonderful. So that's again in contradiction to the governor's mandate that he announced on October 1st. I find this fascinating. Here's why. The governor is now going to be fighting people of his own party. This is going to be pretty awesome because think about it for a second. The governor said, my mandate allows for exemptions. And he has said this very publicly in the press. He said it on his book tour when he was going and talking about his book nationally. He says, hey, my, my mandate, while it's the first in the country, it also allows for you know parents to choose. And there's a religious exemption. There's a personal belief exemption. There's a medical exemption. You will have exemptions that you need. Now, this bill from Senator Pan is coming out, out, and guess what? The governor is either going to have to sign it or veto it. What does he do? This is going to be interesting. I mean, seriously, I, I'm, I'm. Ex- well, it sounds compelling. I mean, yeah, for the rest of us on the sidelines. I mean, yeah. you're into it yep. every day. Yep. This is what you do for yep. a living. Yep. So um, it's yeah, fun. I just try not to get angry. So oh, I'm angry about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to see him squirm. The governor squirm. I mean, he's going to squirm. And this is going to be interesting. I mean, he's in an election year, right? How is he going to handle this? Because he's made promises very publicly about keeping choice for parents. And, and he hasn't said it in those terms, but that's basically what he's implied. Gotcha. So, I mean, how, do, how does he balance that? So those are, the, those are the three key points of SB 871 that parents need to pay attention to. Okay, and every kid over 12 or every kid? Uh, it'll be every kid. Well, it will be every kid in school. So if your kid is in pre-K, even though that's not been... Not been approved by FDA. That, and that's the key point of the bill. One of the key points that's causing a stir is that SB 871 says it doesn't have to be approved. Gotcha. So how do we, you know, how do we challenge that and look at it? Uh, it's going to be a tough year 
hopefully we can get that one taken care of and all this Omicron stuff goes well, away by then. You know, I hope so. I hope so. So what about the other one where um, the kids can um, choose to get vaccinated themselves because they're 12? Yes, they're 12. So this uh, bill was introduced by Senator uh, Weiner from San Francisco. Awkward. And uh, yeah, that's very much so. Uh, so my thing about that bill is I don't understand sort of the nexus for what he what he's trying to say. I mean, I get that that you know their argument is, hey, vaccination rates have stalled. We need to push back on this and we need to increase vaccination rates. That that's what they're saying publicly. My thing is, parents until kids are 18 have a say in the medical decisions of their of their child. Well, mostly. Mostly, that's true. And so, you know, Senator Weiner though has been a champion for bills that remove parents' ability to have influence on their child's life. Uh, One of the bills he's actually running right now has to do with decriminalizing prostitution. That's another bill that he's working on. Oh, cool. Yeah, SB 357. Gotcha. So So, the the state with the the most sex trafficking can just grow and no one can catch us. Yes, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. It's absolutely painful. And so I, I, but I think these are, so that's the author. I mean, let's just be clear. That's the author. Okay, so that's that's his way of thinking. So that's his way of thinking. So this bill would say, hey, if you're a student and you're 12 and you want to get a vaccination, you can go and get it and not ask for your parents' permission. Well, current, you know, under current law, that's not permitted. Because you can't get an aspirin at school no. without a written note, right? That's right. That's right. And the same thing, actually, there, were, there was a bill about medical marijuana as well for kids in school. You still need parents' opinion. You still need a parent to, to, to give a, a permission for those kinds of things. So little Johnny's not getting high at lunch yeah. with the nurse. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, again, yeah, that's right. Just to make sure, just to check in on that. But see, this is the ridiculousness of these these laws. They're so inconsistent, and you have you're highlighting the great points of how they're inconsistent. Right? There's there's no real consistency that comes from Sacramento. And so when you see some of these things, you're just going, you know, I just believe that parents should ha- be left alone and have the ability to make choices for their families. And this this bill, you know, SB eight six six, does not do that. Um, so I don't know how far it's going to go. You know, sometimes these bills are introduced just for press at the beginning. Oh, right? just to see and how excited everyone gets. Just to see how get. excited everyone gets. And then they die in committee because there's just no way that they're going to move forward. Um, I think both of these bills, 871, SB 871 and SB 866, they're going to have challenges uh, moving forward. I think there's a lot of legislators who just don't want to touch these issues right now because they're just so divisive. And, you know, let's just be quite frank, too. 2022 is an election year, so I don't know how many of these legislators want to have to go back to their district and say, oh, by the way, uh, parents, um, I took away your ability for you to say whether or not your student should get a vaccine, which parents, by the way, have for every other vaccine currently. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy because it doesn't usually stop there. That's right. Right. I I'm much older than you, but when I was a kid, you could walk up to the window at the airport and watch your mom get on the plane when she walked down the steps and walked up the other steps onto the plane. Mm -hmm. And then um, it became, oh, you have to go through a metal detector, and that was kind of a big deal. And then you had to show ID. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal. Well, then 9-11 happened. Yeah, and then now you can't even leave the curb Mm -hmm. to go get somebody or drop them off. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. It is, but that's the, the, you know what, though? That's the great point about it is that... uh, there is no waste by government to try to say, hey, we want to move in more into your personal liberties. I mean, we've seen that. Government loves to grow bigger 
And it, well, that's what governments and what, and groups do, right? Their job is to grow, right? They're kind of like right. a virus that uh, yeah, you just can't get rid of. Yeah, that's right. They just keep growing, and, and and in California in particular, unless you have leaders that stand up and say, "Hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna stand for that," um, it happens. Well, let's come up with some. Uh, uh, let's steer the conversation in sure. a more rosy direction. Sure, okay, yeah. So the gloom and doom. Be more positive. Yes. I, yeah. Okay. So what do we got? The weather's beautiful today. What sure. else? What does the senator have going on at the state yeah. level that's going to um, make our lives so much better. Great. Well, perfect. Um, it, it does move a little in the gloom and doom, but it's positive. Uh, <laughs> you know, so the Senator actually recently introduced um, uh, a bill to called the SAFE Act, the Sexually Violent Predator Accountability, Fairness, and Enforcement Act. And, you know, in East County, we all remember that uh, we've been a dumping ground for sexually violent predators. Right. It just seems like every three or four months we get somebody else that's some kind of heinous that's right. sexual predator that gets dumped somewhere in the East County. That's right. And and as a matter of fact, uh, Supervisor Anderson crunched the numbers last year during these debates, and he found 67% of the county's sexually violent predators were placed in East County. 67%. That's insane. That's insane. So uh, part of this process is, it, well, it's fully, it's a state process. And so uh, that's why the senator wanted to engage on the bill. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a great bill. And what it does is it caps the amount of um, sexually violent predators that can be placed in a supervisorial district to 40%. So meaning a county's entire population of sexually violent predators cannot be more than 40% in one supervisor's district. So when somebody is released, are they under some kind of program? Do they go to a, a, a state-owned property and or is like a halfway house or whatever i don't even know if that's a politically correct term to say but did they go to these places that the state can monitor them for a little bit and make sure that they're doing the right thing well sort of uh the answer is yes and no so uh and do, we, that, uh, do our tax dollars cover that while they're there yes the answer is yes to that okay and uh the program is called the conrep program and it's through the department of state hospitals and I don't know what CONREP stands for, so don't okay. ask because I don't know. Uh, but it, it certainly, it, it's certainly, it's a program for sexually violent predators. And I always remind people that, that we have so many sexual violent predators that we have to have a whole department in the government to handle it. Well, they're actually, well, yes, but they, they don't just, the Department of State Hospitals doesn't just handle sexually violent predators. They okay. handle numerous other, other issues. But what I would say is, is that um, they have to, right now in the law, through the Department of State Hospitals is where these folks go. Now, sexually violent predator is a legally defined term. It's not just a term that, you know, political people put together to create the most hype. It's that's not actually true okay. at all. It's technically defined in state statute, and it has to do with offenses against children. I mean, that's okay. one of the primary components of, of this. It also has to do with reoffense. Are they likely to reoffend, or have they reoffended? That's how they're defined as a sexually violent predator. So, in the CONREP process, the state law says, "Oh, hey, we want to try to rehabilitate these folks." Well intentioned, well intentioned. Many laws are well intentioned, don't not necessarily having the best impacts, but well intentioned. Um, so, the Department of State Hospitals then ho- hosts these folks in their program, and once the CONREP program is completed, uh, a court determines whether or not these folks should be released. Once they're released, there's a contractor that contracts with the Department of State Hospitals. It's a private entity. These folks go and search for a location to place a sexually violent predator. Oh, and I'm sure that they have some kind of list of priorities. And Yes, they have a whole checklist of statutory requirements that they have to use when they're placing 
a sexually violent predator. What we have found is, generally speaking, they don't meet all those. And judges generally see that and say, nope, you can't place them there. You're not meeting the requirements. Now, let's be clear. The contractor for the Department of State Hospitals goes to some landlord and says, hey, you want to rent? We'll pay you. At one point, I heard they were paying $10,000 a month for rent. Nice. That's taxpayer money. Let's be clear. That's a blank check from the taxpayer. Okay. And at ten grand a month, they can go rent in Carlsbad, uh, downtown. They could go rent in La Jolla, mm-hmm. Encinitas. They can get an apartment somewhere. Mm-hmm. Anywhere. Anywhere. But they always choose East County or Northeast right. County. Because Coronado uh, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't they handle wouldn't, it. They couldn't handle it. But yeah. apparently, you know, Mount Helix could. Gotcha. Right? I mean, I, these are things where it, it just it doesn't make sense. And so that's why the senator is engaging on these on this effort. The other thing that uh, his bill does, which is a really, really great point, and Governor Duke Mason did this, um, Governor Pete Wilson did this, uh, trying to identify state land where we can put trailers on and host these people on state land. For how long? For as long as needed. As needed. So it's kind of like a probation period. Well, and some of these folks, they'll be monitored there. Right now, they're released into residential neighborhoods. So they'll be on state property being released, but they're on state property. And they're not, they'll be monitored on state property. It's not like- So the state will buy a house. Or put a trailer on Donovan Prison. That's what happened with numerous in the past, numerous sexual violent predators in the past. They were placed at Donovan State Prison in a trailer. And that's where they they spent the rest of their time. And so- uh, And then when they- graduate when they fulfill well, their obligation then what happens well actually that's the release they're released onto state property they're not let they're not released into the public as it currently stands they're allowed gotcha. to be released into the public and that's when they've completed their program now of course they're monitored and there's all these other things but if they're on state property they're on state property forever they're not leaving state property that's where they stay that's where they live they don't leave state property that's where they stay that makes more sense than placing them on a golf course in Rancho Bernardo where there's kids, where there's a park nearby. It makes no sense. So that's the bill. The senator's, the senator's excited about it. I'm excited about it. Uh, I think it meets the need of a community. So that's- and, and just to sum it up real quickly, the, the bill, the I, whole idea behind the bill is to make sure that no one supervisorial district has more than 40% of the people released in a certain given time. Y- yes, exactly. And okay. it makes sure, and it, what it does is it forces accountability on the Department of State Hospitals because that currently doesn't exist. I mean, they don't have to take accountability for anything. They just have to give it to their contractor. They now have to approve the placement, gotcha. which, is, which is a key point of the bill. Because, because somebody making big government money that's right. can, has to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's good. Yep. That's always good. So that's a, that's a rosy, even though it's, even though it's a topic no, that that's sad, okay. that was, it's rosy. It, it's, it's a little rosy. brighter. It's okay. brighter. So what else do you have? We need, we need some rainbows. Some and, rainbows. Well, some rainbows uh, and unicorns. Let's butterflies. Let's think about rainbows. Well, maybe I, some moonbeams and fairy tales. Go ahead. Uh, well, you know what I think uh, is really going well is we've, uh, in Lakeside, we've partnered with the Chamber of Commerce to work on uh, workforce development for our students. Okay. Uh, and to try to get students into career pathways. What we know about, you know, Lakeside, CNT, and just in general, East County is that students who want to go through, you may not want to go to college. You know, I had a lot of friends when I was in high school who, they was like, you know, I want to go work at my dad's shop. And they're working there. And they're loving life. Good. And they're making more money than me, by the way. Let's be clear. I mean, yeah. you know, so I think- Without the college debt. Without the college debt. And that's the, the key point. Mm-hmm. And what we've done as a society is we've funneled all of our students into college. Well, we don't have to do that anymore. You know, we're working with Grossmont Union, we're working with the Chamber and Lakeside to identify careers that students can move into 
when they leave high school. I think that's a great thing because then our kids can go out and earn more money and live their life happy. I mean, that's the goal. Great. So is there, are there funding uh, mechanisms in place? Are you guys working with yeah. the East County Economic Development Council yep. to do tours so they can see some of these these facilities around the East County yep. and see what kind of jobs are available? Yep. We're working with the Skilled Workforce uh, Committee at the at the East County uh, Economic Development Council. Okay. And the and Chamber's the- working with some of their local members who have been, you know, telling them, hey, we really need help. We really, we need the staff. We need more people. Let's funnel them through. Is there a connection between the uh, Associated General Contractors that just opened up a We're, facility in Lakeside? Well, I'm really excited about working with them because, you know, for a long time, I heard that the rumor was that, uh, it, you know, they were going to open. Once they opened, man, I'm ready to, to start working with them. And I'd really like to see work with the chamber to get a curriculum in the middle schools in Lakeside for mm-hmm. like a zero period uh, uh, kind of uh, curriculum, you know, kind of exposure, because that's what we do in Lakeside right now with our Mandarin program and our in our immersion programs with languages. We have what's called um, enrichment periods where we spend, you know, extra time teaching new languages. That's a great thing, but not every student want to do that. Maybe they want to build for an extra an hour a day. Sure. Let's figure out how to make that happen, and let's get a curriculum that we can do where these students can learn about it. So that's what I'm working with the chamber on, and we're working with. I think that's really exciting, and I think that's, that's pretty really, cool. I think that's really rosy. So, uh, you know, I mean, to use your term, but I love it. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. Well, those are good things that yeah. get going on in Lakeside. And um, you, it says here you went to USD. I did. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up there? Well, long story, but uh, so I always wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, I have been successfully talked out of that one. But uh, yeah, I was going to give you my condolences. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I was, I, I actually, I went there. I had applied to numerous other schools and I wanted to stay local. And so I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to USD. And so I said, I want to go to law school. And my thought was at the time that, oh, hey, you know, uh, I could get into USD law because I went there as undergrad. So it wouldn't be a big deal. It'd be awesome. Well, uh, that didn't happen. I got to USD. Actually, never wanted to enter the field that I'm in. Fun fact people don't know that about me. I never well, wanted you're so to passionate about it. I know, but no one wanted to know. No one would know that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, I started off there as a math major. Okay. And then one day I found myself in Dumbledore's class. I mean, that's why I say the guy looked like Dumbledore. I mean, the professor. Did he have the pointy hat? He didn't have the hat. Everything okay. but the okay. beard, everything. I swear to you, the long hair, man. So it was an eight o'clock differential equations math class. I don't even who takes that at eight o'clock in the morning because that would be hard to, well, to stay me, awake for apparently yes. and it was well and let's be clear uh I, I took that class and in that moment i was like my second year in college i go what the heck am i doing here this is ridiculous i said i don't even like this like this doesn't make i don't even like this like it doesn't make any sense about what i want to do with my life like i want to make change i want to work with people to help my community it, it didn't make any sense so i Dropped out of that and that that degree program, and I just you know funneled into a business program, and then political science, and that was way better for me, and uh, I really enjoyed really enjoyed that. So I graduated with that, but I actually you know I started needing work, right? I mean that's what happened. I I mm-hmm. would work for a long time, and at my church and doing just different odd jobs and everything else. And long story short is. Um, I was like, man, I need to make more money. So I found uh, the local Republican Party, and they were paying people 10 bucks an hour to go door to door and talk to voters and such during the election time. Well, that was more than I was making because minimum wage at the time was $8. 
I said, well, hey, 10 bucks, that's a raise. I'm nice. going to go do that. And I get my work and I get, That's right. So I did that. And then I met uh, people who worked for Senator Anderson at the time. And uh, the rest was history. I ended up getting hired with him. And, and then I didn't go back to, I, I graduated USD, but I didn't go back to graduate school. I didn't need the debt. I sure. didn't need the debt. So that's how, that's why I went to USD. I loved it. And I loved it, by the way. But um, it's a beautiful campus. Yep. And I'm right out of high Catholic. school. I went there right so, out of high school. To work in the mail center. Okay. Um, but you worked in the mail center. I did. I did. It's a, it was a beautiful campus back when you could drive all the way through it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Before they put in the little, uh, right in front of the um, Immaculata. Uh, Immaculata. They had the big um, the big pool. Fountain. That yeah. was like my favorite. That was my favorite place to sit. That little plaza. I think mm-hmm. it's it Kalachi's Plaza or something. I forget don't what know. it's called. I forget what it's called. I used it was, to ride the little orange Cushman. <laughs> just hop over those speed bumps so all the mail would pop up in the air. It was pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. It was a pretty fun job. That sounds fun. I mean, I, not at the time. I'm glad I'm not still doing it. But I mean, <laughs> Are you sure looking you back, it was it was kind of cool. You, know, you could have been a postman, you know. No, no, no. You know, you know they make good money. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I got to fix stuff. And, and that, that system's broken. So um, anyway, so you went to USD. You had a good time there. You got into politics. Yep. And you started working behind the scenes and getting some stuff done. I did. And then a couple years ago, you decided to run for office. I did. Because you're in an elected position yes, in Lakeside. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what sure. the future holds? Well, well I think the I think for me, um, I'm loving school board. I'm up for re-election this year, so I'm focused on that. But I'm also looking at other opportunities in the future. I mean, look, I'm not old. I'm young. And so I have a future regardless of, you know, whatever that is. But I certainly am interested in state office, looking for looking toward the state legislature. Um, you know, their redistricting just happened, and so there could be some uh, interesting opportunities that emerge for me in the next sure. couple of years, maybe state assembly. Uh, I'm certainly interested uh, at, at looking at that. Uh, and I think I'd have support from East County community and uh, members of my community, I think, would support that. And so um, I just want to I just want to be able to really represent my community at a larger level than, than just the school board level. Although I will tell you, I have learned local government like school districts is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. That's where the action happens. That's where the action happens. And that's where you really have an impact on so many lives. And you don't know that until you get into that chair, right? And you realize in Lakeside, we have 650 staff. That's more than any other employer in Lakeside. Mm -hmm. You have 5,000 students. You're impacting their lives daily. 30% of the community has kids in the district, right? You look at this and you're going, man, that's a big impact. And mind you, so 100% of the taxpayers pay for you. So you've got to represent the entirety of the community, not just sure. 30% who go there. So I think that it's important for us to to look at how we touch each other's lives in in these positions. And so what I'd love to do is see that at a bigger level at a, and at a state level, because, you know, my bailiwick is talking about bills. As you know, we talked about the first 10 minutes of this, you know, about that. And so I want to engage in that process and have a voice up there and take the voice of East County up to Sacramento. Well, you uh, did a pretty good job uh, with the redistricting for the Assembly and the Senate. Yeah, that was, oh, man, that was crazy. So you you were pretty instrumental in, in making sure that the, the uh, East County uh, stayed as East County as possible. That's right. That's right. And we had some victories. We had some losses. But you mm-hmm. know what? That's every that's every fight. And by the way, everything is a fight nowadays. There's no there's no um, there's no middle ground. Yeah. Nobody seems to concede any point. No. No. For the, and so, for the greater good of it's for my party yep. instead of for what's best for everyone. That's right. That's right. And yeah. I and I I just think you know from a political perspective when we're looking at these districts, man, you know we lo- we we actually we actually. Um, we as in East County, we as in East County, mm-hmm. we, we, I thought that, that we came out well represented. I mean, at first 
the districts didn't make any sense. I mean, at one point, Lakeside was thrown in with Imperial Valley and Needles, California. I mean, seriously. Nice. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's where we were. And Alpine was in that, and Ramona was thrown in with the coast and, and Oceanside and Encinitas. I mean, that's how bad this was. And when you talk to people in East County, they go, even if they don't, even if, by the way, you talk to people who don't agree with me politically, they go, that doesn't make sense, right? Because it's about being a member of your community. It's about being East County, right? Anyone who, you know, who may not agree with me in Lakeside would say, yeah, we probably shouldn't be with Carlsbad, or we probably shouldn't be with Needles, I mean, right. come on. Like, th- that's a common denominator. But Santee and Lakeside, um, we're supposed to be connected to, like, Mission Valley, right? Well, through that area. Yeah, that's what they wanted at one right. point. I and mean, so now we're still in assembly, or sorry, we're still in Supervisor Anderson's district. That's right. Um, but his district has been changed, right? right? So it's been cut in half, pretty much? Well, it's... Um, or split at the eight? It's been, well... Yes, and well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, he has all of the city of El Cajon, still has Hamul. Um, actually, no, yes, he does have Hamul. He has Hamul. Um, so I think when you look at all these things, you know, his district pretty much stayed mostly the same. I mean, okay. although he although he lost, um, you know, Mount Helix, Spring Valley, Rancho San Diego, which, by the way, the El Cajon Rancho San Diego was a huge battle at the county redistricting commission. Sure. Uh, the Chaldean community was very upset about being split away from each other. Um, and they still are. And they still are. Rancho San Diego uh, is still is now in Nathan Fletcher's district. El Cajon City is in Supervisor Anderson's district. Um, so, you know. And large uh, Chaldean populations in both. In both. In both. In both. And yeah. by the way, uh, I, at one point I heard that there was going to be a lawsuit about that. I thought that was a great could be a great lawsuit because the Voting Rights Act says you can't deliberately split an ethnic minority. Well, they're an ethnic minority, and it was deliberately split. So, but who knows? Um, the other thing on the state side is in the assembly districts, El Cajon is split down the eight. In the Senate districts, El Cajon and the congressional districts, El Cajon is sucked into the center city of San Diego. Um, so we dodged that bullet. We dodged it. Santee, Lakeside, we dodged that. Um, but we lost our neighbor of El Cajon. So El Cajon, La Mesa, Spring Valley, Rancho San Diego, mm-hmm. all are part of like City Heights? Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. Really great. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense for rural areas or more rural areas to be thrown in with high-density areas. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. But that's the commissioners. I mean, these yeah. folks, I have to tell you, while I respect their work, um, some of them, at the county particularly, it's like they never lived here. It's like they have never actually been anywhere. And how, how are those people um, selected? Who selects them? Well, uh, so at the county level, they were selected by um, at random. So you, you, there's an application process. So people, whoever wanted to, could apply, right? So there were like 80 or 90 or 100 applications, whatever it was. And then at random. Quote, unquote. Or well, just ra- really uh, random. Uh, well, I think it is random. It is truly okay. random. Okay. The next part is the quote-unquote part. Yes. But the, the, the a lucky eight, as they're called at the county commission, is they're just selected at random. Then those lucky eight get to pick the other six. You know, pick, right? They get to pick really? the other six. So if one side or the other floods the application process, they can increase their odds of getting people on, quote, their side. Well, true. And then if they can get, let's say, 50% or so mm-hmm. of the people, then they get to pick... The other fifty percent of that get yep. so it it can level it out. Or so let's say you flood it so much it's two thirds to one side, then they get to pick. It, then it's just weighted. Yep. Well, and then that's the other nuts. Check. Yeah, it's nuts. 
It really is. And the other challenge is there are statutory requirements, meaning you have to pick certain amount of Republicans, a certain amount of independents, a certain amount of uh, uh, Democrats. Randomly? Uh, no. I mean, okay. and so that's the other thing, right, is that they don't have to be random, but you pick them. So, of course, if the, the loudest voices are one side or the other, generally we know which side that is, um, if one side is louder, well, guess what? Uh, the loudest voice in the room is going to hold the day, and they're going to pick people who maybe, you know, don't understand what the county looks like from our perspective, maybe, and we lose out. And I saw that, and to me, at the county commission, I saw that very strongly. A- at the state commission, it's a similar selection process. It's, it's a pretty ugly business, this politic thing. It you know, really it's horrible. I, I've seen some some really scary things um, that I. Hey, you I, run, you know. Yes, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just it's just uh, it's crazy what people are willing to do and um, their their integrity and their morals that they're willing to give up for quote what it, for what's good for the people. Yeah, right? well, that's what very arbitrary. Yeah. I mean, and that moves with the move of the wind. And uh, I think that's probably why um, there's such uh, low poll numbers for most politicians because they're hard, it's hard to trust them. I think that's true. I think that's true, particularly as bodies as a whole, right? Legislative bodies. Sure. People don't approve of legislative bodies as, as a whole at all. You look at the polling numbers, like 30% of people hate the legislature. I mean, I mean, 70% of people hate the legislature. 30% think they're doing a good job. And you're going, what? whoa, you know, but that's interesting, right? 70% mm-hmm. think you're not doing a good job and we still vote the same people in. Don't get it. <laughs> don't get, don't it. get it. Don't get don't it. Don't get it. I mean, I get you. But, you know. So let's end on a, another high note. Okay. Okay. So what do we got else uh, looking forward to? We got uh, the the SAFE bill. SAFE. Yep. SAFE Act. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. SAFE Act. And then and uh, are there any other things that you're seeing rosy on the horizon for East County? Wow. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you look at East County, because we've maintained some of our similar representatives, that we're going to be able to maintain some of the growth we've been seeing in numerous different areas, right? I think we're going to be able to see flourishing businesses over the next few years. I think we're going to be seeing people come back from, from COVID and be better. I think we are going to see that because I think COVID has taught us a lot of lessons. And so I think we're at, well, good and bad. And yeah, but mm-hmm. I think that's helpful. Right. I mean, I think sure. I think teaching us, you know, good lessons, bad lessons helps us understand what we need to do to move forward and grow. So I see a lot of opportunity there. I see a lot of uh, uh, opportunity for East County with Gillespie Field uh, and some of the and the, the Bradley, uh, exchange, Bradley right exchange there in that area. The bridge that goes over the 67 is going to be hopefully completed, yep, completed. soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. It's I, in the process of widening streets and doing all the infrastructure stuff. Exactly. I see a great thing in Lakeside uh, at Lindo Lake, the expansion of the lake. I don't know if anybody has been been watching that. No, but, what's going on there? Yeah, okay, so the uh, the county put in, you know, about $20 million, and this has been an ongoing project, to dredge the east side of Lindo Lake. So for any of you who walk around Lindo Lake or who want to go down uh, out there daily and do it, I encourage you to because once they're done, it's going to look awesome. So go on some of the Facebook groups in Lakeside and look at some of the uh, drone photos of people looking down into the lake. It looks awesome. You can see right now they're in the stage of placing some of the um, the rocks and bushes that are going to be at the bottom for the fish to swim around. So for okay. fishermen and so everything. So setting up go. the aquarium. So set up, yeah, setting it all up, ready to go. But you should also, you're a fisherman, you should take a look so you know what spots those are so you can go and fish them. Gotcha. So I would encourage you to go do that. Uh, I like to fish, so I'm watching it because, you know, I can just, I live across now, the street. Do you have to have a, uh, a license to go fish there? You will have to have, you'll have to follow all the, the rules to fish. You'll have to have a license. Gotcha. Um, but 
I mean, licenses are cheap and uh, cheaper now, but they're not super expensive. So they're going to stock it and all that stuff. Somebody's going to manage that? Yep, the county's going to manage it. County Parks is going to oversee that. But I'm really excited about it because it's been, you know, that east side of Lindo Lake for a long, long time would, uh, dr- you know, get wet during the, the... Yeah, it was like six inches deep, like Lake Cuyamaca, right? That's right, six it inches would, deep. All, and it was just mud. That's just mud, exactly. And, and then what it would do is it would create this very nasty smell because it's like a marshland, right? Mm-hmm. And so now they're dredging. And it looks, it's going to be great, and it's going to have, it's not going to smell, and it's not going to be bad. It's not going to create that nasty gas smell when you drive through. You already get some of that when you go past El Cap because of the FFA, but that's Mm -hmm. a great program. Uh, And all that's to say, that's exciting. So I'm excited about that expansion, and the county finally is, finally, you know, pulled the trigger on that, so... Uh, and by the way, those those homeowners over there behind the lake, they're going to have Lakeview property. I nice. mean, think about that for their home value. I mean, it's going to be great, right next to the skate park, right next. And they're moving the library, right? They're or getting moving. a new library in Lakeside. Yep, we're getting a new library in Lakeside. Awesome kind of thing. Seventeen thousand square feet um, um, uh, library, which you know what? And it's going to be right next door to Octavio's. That's right, right. Which next is a door. pretty darn good restaurant I if you haven't Octavio's. eaten there. It's it's old school Octavio's like it was in CNT back in the day. Oh, and I was there last week because it's awesome. And I love they that. got a great program. Sign up for your birthday, you get two discounted meals, one on your birthday, one on your half birthday. Really? Sign up for that. I didn't know that. I'm going to do that today. Like I'm going to go over there today and do that. Um, but so we have a new library coming, which is awesome. I'm really excited about the partnerships we can have with the as a school district and the library because they're going to have community meeting rooms, and so we can have maybe after school reading programs for our students. We can look at ways to partner with some of those uh, folks, and so I'm excited about that. So we got the county library and Lakeside coming. The um, now the one question I get a lot from folks is, well, what's going to happen to the old library? Because sure, you know, I mean, are they going to demolish it, or what are they going to do? I really don't know the answer to that. I'm still trying to figure it out uh, because I think what should happen there is, you know, if they they end up, you know, bulldozing it or whatever, okay, let's put more parking there. I mean, sometimes yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to find some parking, hard to parking there. there sometimes when you have an event in the community center, you can't always park there. So, so we've got that going in Lakeside. So I'm excited about that. Um, we have some ball fields being uh, revamped uh, in the the eastern, or I'm sorry, the western portion of. Uh, near Wildcat Canyon Road, where Wildcat Canyon goes, starts to go up the hill. Sure. There's those ball fields uh, owned by the county. Uh, there's been some nice okay. investments. I used to, uh, my daughter played uh, Bobby Sox back in the day. My daughter's okay. played so you, there. And then I used to race the BMS track. Not right, that yeah, one. Right up above, right But up the up one across the street. Yeah, Cactus with, Park or whatever it is. Yeah, but on the other side of the street, there was a there was a, some kind of sand mining now. Yep. But when, that's where the track was when I was oh, a kid. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it was like 1978, so it was oh, a while back. There you go. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, it could still be there. It's got ramps, maybe. Still, oh, yeah, they're know. probably still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so we've got that going, so we're going to revamp those fields. The county's going to help with that. And, you know, some of those fields have looked pretty worn down So over time, so the county's going to come yeah. in and help with that. I think they that. were redone when my youngest daughter, Sammy, was 12, so that was about 20 years ago. Okay, see? It's, yeah, it's time. It's yeah. time. It's time. So we've got that. I'm just trying to think if there's any other good thing. Oh, the equestrian center. The equestrian center. And where's that? So that's going to be at the corner of uh, Willow uh, and, um, gosh, it's not El Monte, Willow and Moreno. Okay. Road. And uh, it's been a long time going. Uh, we're going to have an equestrian park that goes there. That's uh, by the little roundabout? Mm-hmm. Yep, near okay. that little roundabout. It's a, it's a, it's a county park. So if you're that- going north on 67 and you turn right at the Circle K, mm-hmm. go down go a little down, bit. Yeah. yeah, so it's the first last. It's, yep. It's all that land over there. Okay. And so we're going to be building, uh, the county's working in partnership with a private entity to build um, uh, an equestrian park, which has been a long time coming for Lakeside. So very cool. we're very excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about it. And I'm, I'm looking forward there, too, to try to maybe expose students to equestrian uh, riding oh, okay. and learning about 
you know, what horses do. And it's part of Lakeside's history, right? I mean, sure. we're known as a horse It's on the sign. Rodeo. It's, on, it's on the sign, exactly. Yeah, right. and, and some of the stop uh, sign, the crosswalk buttons are like six feet in the air, so you that's can right. push the button from your that's horse. Right. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if that's true, but... No, it is. is. That is? I haven't seen it that. It is, yeah. Oh, I was good. putting up open house signs over off of... Uh, What's the road that connects the two 7-Elevens on the north side? Yeah, Riverside, I think. No, no, uh, Palm Row. Palm Row? By Palm Row, yeah, yes. Palm so Row. there's a there's a driveway that goes into just a field where they're going to be building more um, a business park. Yep. And there's a there's a, a button about six feet in the air. Wow. Yeah, and there's one right below. One right below. Wow. It's, That's, it I took me a while to, to figure it out. Till I I'm going to have to go and look at that. Yeah. Well, and the other good thing, too, is this year, for those who love the Lakeside Rodeo, it's four days this year. Oh, it's Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, not Sunday night, but it's on Sunday. So, uh, that's going to be fun. So it's going to be this year. It's in April. So we're getting oh, back to our, getting back to our usual schedule. normal schedule here. So oh, I'm excited awesome. about it. And what people don't, may not know about the rodeo is that uh, the proceeds from the rodeo after the association covers their expenses and other things are used as direct grants back to the community for kids. I heard of that. Yeah. So, and, so, the, and then the, the, um, the schools or the programs that get that volunteer the next year Mm -hmm. uh, to put in some time to kind of pay it back, to pay it forward. So a lot of those folks that work at the rodeo are uh, volunteers. They are. That's exactly right. So I love it. It's a great, it's a great program. The rodeo association is a big support of the school district and particularly mine, but others in East County. But uh, so I'm grateful for that. But I just thought that people should know four days this year rodeo. So if you want to go celebrate four days in a row in April, in April, yeah, late April. Good deal. Well, Andrew, thank you for taking the time to come Thanks, out John. from your very busy schedule and oh, doing I'm happy a, to be here. tons of stuff. This is fun. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at the next uh, EDC meeting or the East County Chamber meeting or, or, or somewhere, Chamber or somewhere, somewhere around town. But thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.